Hello, Mountain. It's good to see everybody. Glad you're with us. Welcome uh, at all of our campuses, online, wherever you are. Hey, before we uh, jump into the message, I want to just share some news with you um, about a change we're going to be making starting the, the weekend uh, of April 27th and 8th at all of our campuses at Mountain. Uh, we'll, uh, beginning that weekend, we'll no longer be passing uh, offering bags as part of the worship service that we have when we gather together. Obviously, um, generosity is a big part of our faith, and, and we're going to continue to celebrate generosity and talk about all the generous giving that God has done to us and uh, the impact that we're making uh, uh, through our generosity here, there, and everywhere. We'll continue to have moments like that in our service. But so many people are giving online uh, now, uh, and that's a really, really good thing, but we're still kind of passing the offering bags as if that was the primary way that people gave, and that's really not the case anymore. One of the things that happens is the bags kind of fly up and down the row without a lot of participation sometimes, and it really just kind of doesn't reflect well and isn't really consistent with, with the, the incredibly generous uh, church that Mountain is. And, and um, so also, I think in, just for our guests, we want them to, to have... Uh, that right impression about how Mountain is a church that gives, not out of obligation, but out of joy and out of love uh, for what God has done uh, for us. So what, what we're doing is we have these brand new, very handsome giving kiosks. You've probably seen them already in the last few weeks. They're at every campus. They're all over the place. And um, for, for many people, you know, giving when you come to worship is still an important thing for you, and you want to do that, and you can absolutely do that, and uh, this, these kiosks will be the way uh, that you can do that. Um, and by the way, these remind me a lot of actually how uh, giving happened in the time of Jesus. Yeah, in the t- places of worship, they would come to worship, and it didn't look exactly like that, but they had these gathering places where you would, you would put your offerings into the Lord and all. So if that's important to you to give when you are here and you want to give in person like that, great, you can still do that. Also, um, those giving kiosks are where you can deposit a prayer request. We take those very, very seriously and type those up and circulate those. And also your connection cards, anything like that can go in there uh, in that giving kiosk. And they're all over um, at each of the campuses. Um, or you can join the growing percentage of us who are uh, giving online as a way of making your commitment to the Lord. That way you can also submit prayer requests online and um, all of that stuff online as well. So that's on the website. So if you have any questions, hit us up. Otherwise, uh, uh, that's, that's what we're doing and why. And it just gives me an opportunity to, um, uh, to say thank you to, to those of you who just inspire uh, me and so many others by the way that you give generously of your time through service and your love and your talents and your treasure uh, to, the, to push the mission of Jesus forward. So I uh, just uh, love the generosity of Mountain. We want to see that see that continue. So, okay, so let's dive in today, and I got I to start out by telling you the one about the guy that bought a brand new Ferrari, okay? Brand new Ferrari, really excited about his car, his amazing car, super fast. He's out driving it the very first day. He pulls up to a red light, and he's like revving his engine, boom, 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 and there's this old guy that toddles up on a moped. Remember mopeds? Little tiny moped, Pulls up next to him, about 84-year-old guys wearing, wearing, wearing a bow tie and suspenders. You know, he's looking at that Ferrari. And, uh, and, of course, the guy in the Ferrari just kind of rolls his window down, taunts him a little bit. Says, pretty nice car, huh? And the old guy gets off his moped, puts the kickstand down, toddles over, and sticks his head in there, looking all around, admiring that car. The guy says, I bet you'd like to take this thing for a spin. He says, no, no, I'm good with my moped, he says, but that's a nice car, young feller. And just about then, he goes back to get on his moped, and the light turns green. And the guy says, I'm going to show him a thing or two about my car. 
and he just steps on that accelerator and takes off out of there like zero to 70 in no time. He's flying down the road feeling all smug, but then he notices in his rearview mirror there's somebody gaining on him. And he looks back, and it's the old man on the moped. He can hardly believe it. And just a second later, the guy on the moped flies by him. He's going 70. The guy's going back. He really makes him mad, so he steps on it even more. And he's going 120 now, and he catches up to the guy, passes him. But then he notices the guy on the moped still gaining on him again. He's so frustrated, he can't stand it. He slams on his brakes, comes to a complete stop, and he sees that, that guy on the moped catching up to him and smashes right into the back of his Ferrari. Big old crumpled mess, the 84-year-old guy, amazingly, is, is still okay. He's just dusting himself off a little bit, lying there in a little bit of a heap. And the man gets out of his car and says, man, I'm so sorry what happened. And, and is there anything I can do for you? And the old man says, no, I think I'll be all right. But would you mind unhooking my suspenders from your side mirror? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a mental image, isn't it? Here's something to think about. You know, when I think about, when I, when I hear people talk about following Jesus, when I hear, when I even think about my own life with Christ, I think some people think it's sort of like riding a moped, sort of slow, safe, predictable, boring. Friends, if I read my Bible right, it's more like hooking your suspenders to a Ferrari. And if your Christian life right now feels more like riding a moped than hooking your suspenders to a Ferrari, maybe it's because you haven't hooked up to the real Jesus. And that's why we're going through the book of Mark, and we're calling it the good story, just because that's what Mark is. It's a collection of stories told primarily by Peter, the one who knew Jesus best who's going to just help us see what it's like to hook our suspenders up to Jesus, because it's going to be more of an adventure than I think a lot of us are experiencing in our lives. You ready to go? The, the book of Mark is this fascinating collection of these powerful stories, and it's helping us get a picture of Jesus with fresh eyes, isn't it? And right in the middle of the book, is the most important question that we all got to deal with, and it's going to kind of hover over us every single uh, story, episode in the story. It's where Jesus confronts Peter and asks him that question. Mark chapter 8, verse 29. Who do you say that I am? Regardless of what anyone else says, regardless of what anyone else says, who do you say that I am? And every one of us has to answer that question. And you can ignore him. You can deny him, you can follow him, but you can't, you can't not answer the question. And so that question is the one that drives us forward. And we dove in last week, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. And we just started looking at um, the time Jesus first shows up on the scene, and he uh, is baptized by John in the Jordan River, and then immediately he's thrust out into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan. Remember what happened? What we learned there last week is that is that it's not just important what we say about Jesus and who he is. It's important that we understand who Jesus says we are and what he says about us. Remember? 
Jesus is out there in the baptism, and there comes the voice from the Father saying, You are my Son in whom I am well pleased. I love you. I delight in you. And then immediately he's thrust out in the wilderness where he's tempted. And then, of course, the voices of the evil one get in his head and whisper to us. And it's the same thing for us. It's, you know, we, we have all the voices that tell us we're no good. We have to do this to measure up. We have all these sort of voices from the evil one in our head talking to us. But if you give your life to Christ and follow this Jesus, then you have the same voice speaking over your life saying, You are are a beloved child of God and we said last week we've got to decide which voice are you going to listen to now today we're going to move on next couple of verses strap your suspenders on because Mark's going to take us forward and it's going to show us you know that Jesus is on the move and it's going to show us what it takes to follow Jesus verse 14 and following after John was put in prison Jesus went into Galilee Proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So here we go. Trying to keep up with Jesus. Mark kind of keep. Remember Mark's favorite word he uses 40 times is the word immediately. He pushes it forward like that and kind of a breathtaking uh, storyteller. He just mentions briefly that John got arrested and put in jail. We don't even know why. You want the details on that? You're going to have to go someplace else to get it because right now Mark just wants to get the spotlight on Jesus. It says he shows up and he goes to Galilee. Galilee is a place that was um, not a little dusty town. It was a busy cosmopolitan area with, with uh, lots of racial mixture and, and, and political clashes and religious conflict. And, and uh, this is the place that Jesus shows up. And, and according to Mark, the first words that Jesus says are hardly not a little bit of advice or a spiritual encouragement or a sermon. He's simply making an announcement. He's like telling something. And he says it's good news from God. The promise that God has been giving us for so long is finally about to come to fruition. The kingdom of God is near. The time has come. He doesn't mean like TikTok time, like, hey, it's Tuesday at 4.30. It must be time. He means like time, like, like a moment, a significant weighty moment has arrived, the moment we've been waiting for. And the kingdom of God. Now, when he said that phrase, kingdom of God, everybody then would have known what he was talking about, maybe in a way that I'm not sure everybody today does. But basically, kingdom of God, it wasn't like talking about a geographical area or a realm of a king. It was talking instead about uh, the reign of God, that God's sovereignty, the, the fact that God is king is going to start to be known by everyone. Now, they had believed that and hoped for it, but it was kind of like invisible. It sure didn't feel like it to them didn't look like it to them. You ever notice what I'm talking about? You live life and sometimes it just doesn't feel like God's really on the throne. Jesus says that's about to change because the kingdom of God is near and it's happening now. God's authority has begun something unstoppable and Jesus says he's the center of it all. So this word gospel, think about the word gospel. Jesus says time has come, believe the good news of the gospel. That's what the word gospel really means. In the Greek it's a, it's a word uh, Euangelion. <laughs> it's made up of two little Greek words. Uh, um, angelos, you think of Los Angeles, or the word angel, it simply means messenger. And eu, just a little prefix that means good or joyful or happy. And so you put them together and it's a joyful message. Gospel means good news that brings joy. 
Like the angel said, good news of great joy for all people when Jesus was born. Okay? That's all it is. And it was an announcement. In those days, they used the word gospel or good news when you made an announcement that was some world-changing, uh, life-shaping, history-making news that was being proclaimed. So, for example, sometimes they would use that word gospel when they were, um, like, giving uh, news of, of a victory, for example. So, the Greeks were attacked by the Persians. You should, not, you should be nice to Greek people. But the Persians attacked the Greeks. And guess what? The Greeks put them in their place and won some big battles, um, the Battle of Marathon and so forth. And what did they do? They, they couldn't get word out any other way through, you know, USA Today or something. And so they sent out heralds or messengers or proclaimers, or evangelists with the good news to spread it to the cities. And they would literally show up and they'd say, we have fought for you, we have won, you're no longer a slave, you're free. That's a gospel. That's gospel. It's an announcement of something that's happened in history that's real, it's been done for you, and your life will never be the same. It changes your status forever. That's gospel, and that's what Jesus came to announce. Which is, by the way, why Christianity is so different than every other world religion or someone who says they have no religion. Because the essence of other religions kind of boils down to like advice. Like here's some stuff you should do to get right with God. Christianity is not advice. It's news. You see? Other religions say this is what you got to do. Here's what you should do. You, to connect with God, to... Uh, you know, live forever or uh, earn your way to God. Here's what you've got to do. But the gospel says it's good news. There's a bunch of stuff that's already been done. And you just need to know about it and believe. Turn toward it, receive it, and believe it. The Christian message is completely different. It's joyful news. And so this should be like a gut check for you because if you're still living in a way where Christianity feels like a bunch of stuff that someone's given you to sort of do, like a sort of moral checklist or like a burden, like as if Jesus came to announce a new set of rules that you had to do to get right with God. Maybe that's why, maybe some church taught you that or whatever, but it's not why Jesus came. It's not what he came announcing, okay? That's just not what it came for. How do you feel when someone gives you a list of moral obligations that you've got to do to sort of measure up? Well, you feel like, oh gosh, you know, I'm not, I, I feel guilty because I'm not doing all that. I feel like this is how Christianity is for a lot of people. No wonder more people you know, are, are, are interested. Friends, listen, that's not Christianity. I mean, I think you can look pretty reliably at where Christianity started. It started right here with Jesus. And that's not what he came to do. That kind of message just kind of weighs you down. It's like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then you're just standing in a bunch of doo-doo. And that isn't, that isn't what Jesus came for. By contrast, how do you feel when someone comes and announces a victory? Like what happened with the Greeks, right? You, 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 you're, you feel awesome. You feel excited. I'm free. My burdens have fallen off. Finally, you know, I, I don't have to live like this anymore. I'm glad. I'm thankful. I want to look for someone to high-five and celebrate. That's the news that Jesus came to bring. It's not what you have to do. It's what already has been done You don't have to sort of give your life to this. It's like, you know what? Jesus already gave his life for it. And that's celebration time. Good news. The time has come. Shoo-wee. We've been waiting on it. That's what their reaction would have been. Then the next words out of his mouth 
It's about to get real. He says, so repent and believe it. Repent and believe it. What does all that mean? You know, one time I was, I was flying, um, I flew to speak somewhere in California, and I took the red eye, like all night flight, it was horrible. Got there at whatever, 7 a.m., airport, washed your face off, went straight to the venue where I had to preach. And I spoke a couple of times, and then in between, had these workshops, Q&A, and all this stuff, and then went to dinner with some folks. I didn't get back to my hotel room until like 10 o'clock at night. I'm exhausted, right? I'm, I'm, I just I can't wait to get in bed. So I go in there, and I clean up, and I'm getting ready to bed. I don't have to, ca- I don't have to get out of bed to like 9 o'clock to catch my flight. So the last thing I did before I turned on the light and went to bed is I took that little plastic sign, and I put it out on my door. What did it say? Do not disturb. Leave me alone. Go away. Do not come in and ask me if I want new towels. Don't try to make my bed. I'm in it. I don't need a hairnet. I don't need anything. I don't need little, uh, I don't want a little, a little chocolate. Just leave me alone. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like that in like your life? Here's the problem. Sometimes we sort of feel like that even in our spiritual life with God, don't we? Like we just kind of have a big old do not disturb sign on us. Like I'm too busy right now to think about my relationship with God. Do not disturb. Or I, think I kind of got things in a good place right now, so I just don't disturb. Or I don't know. I'm not seeming to be getting out of there. God doesn't seem to be giving me what I want lately. So just, you know what, we'll be done here. Do not disturb. We got this do not disturb sign outside of my heart. And Jesus says... Uh, Hey, sorry. Sorry. Hey. I guess you might as well go get the door. Because Jesus says, you want in on this kingdom stuff? You got to make some changes. You got to let me in. Let me in and we're going we're gonna to fix up a few things. Repent and believe this good news. Because God is not a God of status quo. Where everything just kind of coasts along. We say Jesus comes to you and loves you just exactly the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. And so we take the do not disturb sign off when we say yes to Jesus and he wants to take you beyond where you are now. Beyond our sort of low bar we set for ourselves. Beyond just the sort of easy Christian dabbling to a life that may feel a little disrupted. And you know what? I think as much as we don't want that, I think there's a part of us that does want it. As much as we love our comfort, I think there's a bigger part of us down inside that where the truest part of our life is where we know that we're made for something more. Where, we're, where we, we, we want adventure. We want to risk. We want something real, some more meaning. Some, some life, something that's real. And that's attractive to us. And Jesus has come to bring it, what he would later call life that's abundant. Repent and believe this good news. Repent. Let's talk about that word for a moment. Repent. It basically means that some kind of change is needed. Some kind of change is needed. We get a bad image of the word repent in our minds sometimes, don't we? Like repent. We think of some guy with a scraggly beard downtown with a bullhorn, a sandwich sign, yelling at everybody, you know, the end is near, you know, turn or burn, repent, whatever. It has kind of a negative. But you know what? It's actually a beautiful, positive word in Scripture. It's used 50 times in the Bible because it's central to our response to God. It just simply means this, to turn, 
to change, to have a change of heart, a change of mind. It doesn't mean just feeling sad or sorry or depressed or guilty. It means to to actually have a change of course, to turn away from some of the things that Jesus hates, to turn toward the things that Jesus loves. Let me take you through a couple of verses in the scriptures to help us get a feel for this idea of repent and the kind of turning and changing. Okay, so take a look at Joel chapter 2. This is a place in the Bible where God's people were living really far from him and they were, they were, just, they were, they were completely deserving of punishment. But God says, you know what, I, I don't want to do that. Look at Joel chapter 2. It says, the Lord says, turn to me now while there's time. That's the word repent. That's what the word is. Give me your hearts. That's what repentance is about, to reconnect you with God in a relationship that's all he's ever wanted. So come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't just tear your clothing, though. Tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not to punish. You returning to God and connecting with him is what repentance is. So on the very first day of the church, when Peter again stood up to preach after the resurrection... When they were like moved and wanted to know, how do we respond to God? His answer in the first Christian sermon ever preached, Acts 2.38, repent. Turn to God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's how you respond to God. He would say the same thing to some other friends like the next day, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then, Peter says. And turn to God. So you see there's this idea of turning away from something and turn to something. And it says that not only will your sins be wiped out, you can have times of refreshing. So you see, that's not a negative impression. That's a positive impression. Repentance can lead you to feel refreshed. So there's a turning away from sin. If you want to boil it down, repent equals to turn away from something, like sin, you just boil it down to the word turn. It means turn. And then believe, Jesus says, repent and believe is when you turn toward God. And you got to do both. You could boil that down to the word trust. So it comes down to, Jesus says, follow me. you got to turn and trust. Repent and believe. Go away from some stuff and come toward me. And this is what he wants everyone to do. Second Peter, again, in his own book, he would say it this way, verse three, chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. It may look like that, but, but he's patient is what he's doing. He's not wanting anyone to perish. Why? He wants everyone to come to what? Repentance. He wants you and me to turn away from some stuff, to turn toward him. That's why Acts 11, verse 18, just says repentance leads to life. It's like antiseptic. If you get a bad infection in you, wound or whatever, you don't, you don't attend to that, it's going to eat you alive and kill you. But you take that antiseptic and you put it on there, what's going to happen? Well, first of all, it'll sting. But then it'll, then it'll heal. And that's what you're invited to do, is to put antiseptic on the parts of our lives. It may sting a little at first, but you know it's the only way to healing. So it's not a negative thing. It leads to life. It's when you recognize that if I keep going down the same path with the same thinking, doing the same old things, I'm never going to get where I need to go. That's why Martin Luther would say that the life of the Christian is one of daily repentance. There has to be a change. Way back in the day when I was an intern at a church in Minneapolis, 
I was a college student and I didn't have any money. So when people invited me over to dinner, I was like all about it. So these friends invited me for dinner, but they said, I'm warning you, we live out in the country, right? So this is like pre-GPS and Google Maps, right? So like they gave me some directions I wrote on like a back of an envelope or something, like go by the water tower. And they just said, hey, just keep going on the highway, get on the highway and just keep going quite a ways out there and you'll see this and you'll see that and then you turn. It's like, okay, so I'm tooling along in my 1978 Olds Cutlass Supreme and I'm going to go to dinner. And I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving. I start realizing, you know, I've been out here a long time. I realize I'm going to be late because I don't see any of the landmarks. I'm driving, driving. Then, I, then it kind of dawned on me, you know what? I'm going west. And I was supposed to be going east. Hey, uh, am I going to get there if I speed up? Not necessarily. <laughs> Unless I go all the way around the world. Right? No, I started, it was kind of deceiving because there's a bunch of other people that are just too along on the same road I was. They seemed like they were having a good time going where they wanted to go, but it dawned on me, you know what? I don't think I want to go where they're going. Just because someone else is going that way doesn't mean it's the right way. And so here I was realizing I got to make me a change. I started looking for an exit. And friends, that's the way it is. You got to find a change exit. Friend, listen, listen, listen. I think Jesus is trying to tell us something right now. Because some of us are on a road, and you've got to ask yourself, honestly, examine your life. Is the road you're on the road that Jesus is leading you on? Are you strapped up to Him, or are you going your own way? If not, you've got to make a change exit. It doesn't matter if everyone else is going on that road. If it's not where you want to go, or if it's not where Jesus is taking you. We've got to go in a new direction. Some of us need new thought patterns. We've got to put new stuff in our minds. You've got to make a change. Some of you need new friends and new places to hang out. And that's not just going to happen. You've got to make a change. You've got to decide that there's an actual change of course in how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how, how you think about sex, how you think about power, or how you treat people, your outlook on life, your negative attitude. This is stuff, you've got to be around some godly people. Think a little less about yourself and more about others, a little less about your sin, a little more about salvation. Friends, we gotta, until we get off the highway of habits that we're on, that road's never going to lead you where you want to go. And so Jesus says, the kingdom is here, follow me, right? But, 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 but you got to make a change. That's the first thing. we got to make a change. So then look at the rest of these verses. He shows what that looks like in a real life after he makes that announcement. Verses 16 and following. Here we go. One day, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw Simon. Who's Simon? That's Peter, Right? And his brother, Andrew, what are they doing? Well, they're throwing a net into the water for they fish for a living. They're fishermen, right? That's what they do. So they're doing what they do every day. They're just ho-hum at work, you know, Tuesday morning, here we go, just throwing our nets in. I don't know, they had little stones on the end and they'd use those things to, to catch their fish. And, and, and Jesus called out to them in the middle of their everyday life and just said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. He goes on to say in verse 19 that a little farther up the shoreline he saw Zebedee's sons. The names were James and John. They were in a boat repairing their nets. You know, they got little holes in them. They got to fix them up. They're stitching, sewing them up, laughing and jawing about last night or depressed about the bad catch or whatever. But in the middle of their everyday life he called them at once. And they also followed him, leaving 
not only their nets, but their father Zebedee in the boat with all the hired men. Walked out of the family business right on the spot in order to follow Jesus. Jesus is going to call every single person on the planet. God so loved the whole world that he sent his son to call every one of us. He starts with these four guys, but he's getting around to you. In fact, that's where he is now. There's so much radical about this passage right here that we, we miss. In those days, if you were a super educated, bright, young Hebrew student, you could decide to follow a rabbi. And you would pick the rabbi that you wanted to follow and go follow him. Jesus flips the script. First of all, these guys aren't bright. They're fishermen. And second of all, they ain't picking anybody. But Jesus does what no one had done. And he says, hey, you, I pick you. Follow me. Remember in grade school or you're playing kickball and they, they had captains choose sides for the teams? That's pretty cool if you're one of the first ones picked. It's not much fun if you're the last one standing. That's Peter and Andrew, James and John. No one's going to pick them to be disciples. But Jesus does. He says, I pick you, follow me. And they realized they had a better deal with him than with the fish guts all over their, their shirt. I got bigger fish for you to fry, Jesus says. And he meets you right now in the middle of your everyday life as you're messing with the nets that you do every day, all the stuff, the hassle with your family, the work that you do, the routine that you're in, right in the middle. That's where Jesus meet, he meets us on our terms. He didn't say, come meet me. I'll come to you. And I just, I just want to ask you to follow me. That's Jesus' call to you right now. And I got bigger fish for you to fry. You're a teacher? Follow me and all you can teach about the truth of God. You're in sales? Follow me and I'll let you give away good news for free. You build, you build roads? Great. Follow me and I'll, you can help lead people back to me. I got bigger fish for you to fry. Whatever you're doing in your everyday life, follow me. Follow me. Right where you are, he meets you. And he asks you to trust him. It's powerful. Verse 17, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people. And verse 18 says, at once they left their nets and followed him. At once they dove in the deep end like there was a kid drowning. They, just, they didn't think, they just went in. And sometimes I think we need a little of that. And they followed him. And when you follow, that's the, that's the idea of faith. The idea of following Jesus wherever he leads. And you don't always know where he's going to lead. It may seem like he's leading you to a dead end sometimes. It may seem like, I don't know if this is working out. But he says, you just trust me. You keep following. Don't despair. Don't get discouraged. You just keep following. You trust me. Turn and trust. So it comes down to your and my response, my friends. What's your response? Carl and I... uh, had the privilege of going to Israel several years ago. And uh, we went to the Sea of Galilee and to the town of Capernaum, which is Peter's hometown. And I took a picture of this shore right there. I got to thinking, I was standing there, good grief, this, is, this could be right where Jesus walked. This could be right where they were fishing. This Zebedee could be standing right there. I said, well, this is pretty cool. It's like holy ground I'm standing on. This is a big deal. I said, you know, is that, and I'm not kidding. Right then I saw somebody walking on the water. I took a picture of them. 
turned out to be a water skier, so it seemed something not quite right about that. But no, but seriously, so I'm standing there, I'm standing there, and, and I think this is right where Jesus walked, and I better get a picture of me in this famous spot. So here's me in that famous spot. I said, well, that's done, and I'm about ready to go get back on the bus. And it's almost like Jesus just slapped me around, just like, well, wait a second, what am I doing? Here, here I am like a tourist, you know, with a camera around my neck, taking pictures at a famous spot where a bunch of other people were called to follow Jesus, where a bunch of other people dropped their nets. And here I was about ready to go get back on the bus. And it's like Jesus was saying, Ben, I, I, before you go, I want to know, while you're standing here, are you ready to follow me? Are you ready to drop your nets? Or you just want to preach about it? You just want to talk about it? You want to help other people do it? And I hope you don't have that same experience. I hope right now you realize you, you can do that. You can just have a camera on your neck and be a spectator at this whole time right we're in right now. And watch a bunch of other people interact with Jesus. Watch a bunch of other people drop their nets. But I'm going to encourage you to hear the Lord Jesus right in front of you right now invite you to follow him and to trust him and to drop your nets. In fact, as you came in, on your seat was one of these little patches of net. Why don't you grab that? I'd like you to get that in your hand right now if you would. Because that little net, I want you to hold on to that. Hold on to it as a way of reminding you what you need to let go of. Hold on to this net because it reminds you of what you need to let go of. Because there's always nets, isn't there, when we're holding on to Jesus. At once, they dropped their nets in following Jesus. Because friends, listen, you can't hold on to your nets and follow Jesus. Something has to go. Drop your nets and follow. They, they knew they had to let go of their nets. Clinging to them would, would make it not possible. Sometimes to go beyond where you are now, you've got to leave some things behind. Like Jesus sometimes is just going to say, it's me or your nets. Sometimes when you want to really follow Christ, it's not a matter of adding something in, like there's some new thing you've got to do. Sometimes, you know what it is? It's a matter of subtraction. Like something you've got to let go of, something you've got to abandon, a practice, an attitude, some flesh that needs to be peeled off, a change you've got to make. I pray that you will, you will in these moments, identify that net. What, what, what is that net? That thing that stands between you and full-on following Jesus. A net is anything in your hand that makes it hard for you to put your hand in Jesus' hand. What do you need to let go of in order to fully follow Jesus? That's your net. Ask yourself that question, what's my net? What's my net? For some of you, it might be fear. It might be your comfort. It might be a certain nagging sin that you hate and love at the same time. It might be your insecurity. It might be anything that you're just going to keep on messing with and keep on doing instead of dropping your nets and following Friend, I pray you won't let anything keep you from following Jesus. Hold on to this to remind you what you need to let go of. 
We're going to have a moment right now where we're just going to sing at all of our campuses. We're going to sing this amazing song and let it be a moment where you just meet God. And I think some of you might want to come forward with your net maybe. And we're going to have prayer partners at the front at all of our campuses just to come forward. If you want to just say, would you pray for me? You don't even have to tell anybody what your net is. Maybe you just want someone to pray for you to make this day real. You're going to receive Jesus, follow him, trust him in a way you haven't before. I hope you're ready to drop a net. To drop a net and follow. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the example of Jesus who comes bringing us good news. Help us to hear it like good news, even though it might sting a little, a little hard to pull away the nets from around our, our fingers. God, we, just, we want to get rid of anything that stands between where we are now and full-on abandoned devotion to Jesus. So help us identify those things that hold us back. Things that keep us stuck. And help us to drop our nets. And follow in faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.